head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to a special episode of The Watch Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. Shortly, I will be joined by my co-host Andy Greenwald. And this episode is one of our favorites to do every year. We'll be joined by the creator of Mr. Robot, Sam Esmail, to do his annual 10 best TV shows of the year. Andy and I will also be sharing our lists. We'll get a paper copy or a digital copy of that up so everybody can kind of peruse those lists as soon as possible on our social media accounts. I hope everybody is having a healthy and happy holiday season. And Andy and I will be back on Thursday to talk about episodes four and five of Station Eleven and to chat a little bit about the rest of what's going on in pop culture. Without further ado, let's get into our chat with Sam and the best TV of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the Watch Podcast. It's the end of the year podcast. It's the best in TV podcast. It's Andy Greenwald and our godfather, Sam Esmail. Sam, what's up? Hello, guys. How are you? Uh, this is my favorite annual pod, Sam. It's where you come tell us that we're wrong about television. Uh, <laughs> you la- laugh at our lists and we share our top tens. How have you been? Uh, I'm, I've been doing well. I've been doing well. I'm, I'm, I actually think we have a good year this year. I, this, you remember a couple of years ago when I couldn't even find 10? Yeah. Now I feel like I have 10 and then I have like 10 honorable mentions that could have easily been in the top 10 and I'm like literally, and I think Andy, you said this earlier before we started recording that a couple were struggling. Like I've been changing up until this very second since we've been recording. I think this has been a fucking fantastic year for TV. Great year for TV. 
I mean, we're recording Great this before year. before Book of Boba Fett even drops, so That's clearly true. all of our lists are fluid. We don't fluid. even know if Hawkeye's going to land it, so it's hard yeah. to it's hard to really know how, what That's my top right. ten looks like. Yeah, I I easily had a top twenty, and it was yeah. difficult to make the decisions of what goes into the top ten. On one hand, you're trying to make something that. Uh, you're like, this is definitively like how I feel like these shows are ranked or if I feel like something is, you know, the exceptional clubhouse leader just has to be distinguished as the top show of the year. Then there are some where you're just like, I want to make sure that I repeat my admiration for this thing. So I want to have it in this first batch of shows. Andy, I know that you were even as of 9.58 Pacific Standard Time still grappling with 12 shows on your top 10 list. Well, the beauty of that was I thought we were in real trouble. Um, and I, you know, I don't like to signal panic to Sam in any aspect of our relationship when I was running a show for him or when doing a podcast, like I just want him <laughs> to think that there's a steady hand on the rudder, uh, even if it's not the case. Luckily, minutes before we recorded, I noticed that I had the white Lotus on my list twice. So that wow. took us down to 11. And then I, then I had to make a tough call that I might regret, you know, 10 minutes after we're finished recording. But Chris, I think was saying to me earlier too, that it's important that we keep it to 10. It's part of the challenge. It's part of the, you know, it, it shows decisiveness. And I believe, you know, as Chris has said before, off offline, top 20 lists are for cowards, man. Yeah. They're for cowards. And I got, a, I got a little surprise for you guys. Emmy, my wife, uh, has given her top 10. Oh, yes. wow. Now she, she get, now she had the same problem you did, Andy. She had 11. Yep. And I was like, no, it's got to be 10. She tried to do the tie thing. I was like, no, not allowing that. Although you guys have done that. And we do that on, been, on movie drafts. We always are like, actually, I'm also going to draft like three alien movies at once. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> do, do, is, I, is Emmy going to grab the mic? Like, like she's not Kanye gonna, she at the did, VMA she, style? She's, no, she, <laughs> no, she said, you guys can talk about it, but here are my talks. Because in all honesty, going back to what I initially said, fucking good year for TV. I think it's got to be one of the best years. And Emmy was in total agreement with me. Now we just had a baby about six months ago. Congratulations. Maybe thank you. Now that was maybe part of the reason why she watched a lot more TV this year than uh than other years. But so I was still. I was gonna ask you, Sam, did your TV watching habits change decidedly this year, either because of parenthood or COVID or, no, or anything in particular? In fact, no, in fact, as Andy probably knows, we, you can't really watch TV with the with your child. I mean, I know Sean Fennessy doesn't really give a shit about that, but <laughs> we're trying to do the, and he said this on his podcast. I'm here, I'm here for this. <laughs> but, um, but we're trying to do the no screen time thing. So it actually probably, uh, I think to be fair to Sean, what? the kid is facing the other direction though. I don't think that, that, that mm, <laughs> yeah, but the I next, the next develop quickly, Chris, she can turn <laughs> baby Fennessy can turn. She can take it all in. Um, <laughs> but at least he's watching good, good, good films, horror films, but good films. The one thing I will say, because unlike Andy, although maybe your hatred for horror, that was it mm-hmm. before you had kids? Because I know a lot of a lot of fathers, uh, you know, or, or or mothers, I think they don't like the violent mm-hmm. stuff as much post parenthood. And I, I, I think horror uh, was great. I mean, saw a lot of great horror films. I have a great horror television show. I mean, that didn't change at all. I still love it. I'm proud to say to both of you that I've been a coward all my life. And so that hasn't, (laughs) that hasn't changed. There is, there is definitely a recalibration. And I I imagine longtime listeners of the podcast could probably note it when it started happening for me in 2013, when a certain type of children or young people in peril 
uh, emotional storytelling becomes extremely challenging to sit through and it become even more exacting about that. But that, you know, yeah, it's not like I was for me either. I'll, I'll, yeah. I rewatched mother, which I won't spoil mother, but there's like a <laughs> right. pretty graphic moment in mother yeah. where if you are a parent, it would be, it would probably be very unsettling for you, but it was not unsettling for me. I think I, I feel think. like non-parents need to get the monopoly on some kind of emotional trauma too. Like I gotta, <laughs> I, what, what can I be? I mean, I guess I can have oh, like I, I, shows I, I, where I, people I, die alone. That could be my my thing. <laughs> yeah, like, but I also you, think that I also think that you should just be like, you know, the trauma you feel when you've had just too much fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you and your wife like went out for dinner and then we're like, should we get a drink after dinner? And you were like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because we can. And the next morning, and that's you're like, when that couple oh. gets kidnapped. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, that's your suffering. I think it's, it's unique and that's fine. It's a beautiful thing. Sam. No, uh, wait, listen, I just want to say there is going to be on uh, a little bit of an unfair thing going on in this list because you guys have seen shows yes. that I haven't. Yes. Because you guys are are critics, and hmm. I'm just I'm just a lowly viewer here. Um, so I, I will say that because the show in question, which which I'm sure will be on your list, is a show I'm dying to see and could yeah. have been on my list, but I haven't seen it. So just for the just for the watch super fans and the Sam super fans, Sam, can you just before we get into it, just give people an update on why you are where you are, what what you're up to? Because this there's TV okay. the TV from you is coming, but there's yes. but not this year. Not this year. Well, so I've got three shows that we are that that are going to air in 2022 that I'm producing, but I'm not show running. Which is, God, this I just finished watching the season finale of uh, of our show Gaslit, starring Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, Dan Stevens, Betty Gilpin. It's fucking great. It's based on the Slow Burn podcast about really. It's centering about Martha Mitchell and uh, the Watergate scandal. Um, so that's going to come out in the spring. And then my wife's show, um, which I'm also producing is called Angeline, which is based on a famous LA icon. And that's also coming out. Like, I think that's going to come out in May on Peacock. Gaslit will be on stars. And then we're, we're having a show going, going into production in January, which will hopefully come out towards the end of the year called The Resort by Andy Ciara, who wrote Palm Springs. And that'll come out late in the year. Yeah. So, and then as far as what I'm doing, just, just to, just to quickly update, uh, I am in London right now shooting something, uh, that I can't really, I don't want to get into it. I can't talk about it, but it's really fucking cool. And hopefully that'll come out the year after. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. I no, I was just going to ask if all of this, uh, this prolific streak from you is, is a direct reaction to Taylor Sheridan. A hundred percent. I mean, if you're not chasing Taylor Sheridan, then you're not really show running. The problem is, I mean, the problem is he's, he's on horseback, man. Sam, and it's hard to chase him. He also has a ranch. I know. <laughs> Wait, but can I just say something? I, and this is nothing to do with uh, his show. I have not seen a frame of any, and he's so prolific, but I haven't, for whatever reason, I haven't ended up watching any of it. Have, have you guys... I don't remember. I, I don't recall you t- talking about it on the show. I am sort of the comptroller of Sheridan Town, yeah. so yeah, I've seen <laughs> all of Yellowstone, and uh, I've watched all of Mayor of Kingstown, which I increasingly adore. And uh, I haven't watched the 1883. I think that comes out in a week or so. And then, of course, he did a movie with Angelina Jolie this year too. He did Those Who Jesus. Wish Me Dead, which I thought was awesome. 
I have not seen it. And I got to say, Yellowstone, that's like the biggest thing ever on, like, bigger than, I don't know, Monday Night Football or something, right? It's huge, right? Am I, yeah, am do, I wrong do you, about that? Yeah, do, it's do you the remember, biggest show on cable right now. Sam, do you remember when we had those ratings calls for Briar Patch and they were like, this number is pretty good for basic cable in 2020? And I was like, great, great. Yellowstone exponential factor of 10. <laughs> really messing up the storyline I wrote for myself. So what's so strange, and I'm sure you guys talked about this already. I don't know anyone who watches the show. Do you? I mean, you gotta get in touch with America, man. You know what? You know this guy right here. I'm yeah, I'm in a bubble, I guess. I know no one that watches the show. So before we get into our list, and I know there's always a lot of before and preluding and hemming and hawing, Sam, other than your own personal circumstances changing this year, um, with the baby at home. Do you think there's any reason why things were good this year? I mean, is it so much that there were a lot know. of planes, a lot of planes on the runway the previous year that all took off at the same time because of COVID restrictions and we got better stuff or something in the air or water? Well, we can talk about the way White Lotus was made, which is obviously totally motivated yeah. by the restrictions of COVID mm-hmm. and and sort of this like first, almost first draft, you know, creative outpouring from um, Mike White. But um I, I honestly, I don't know the answer because whenever that was, I think it was 2019, where I was sort of bemoaning the landscape of TV. I felt it was sort of regressing back to the way TV usually was, right. which is this more procedural, repetitive, formulaic uh, kind of let's let's hang out with characters every week, but not really care about the serialized storyline. That. I, that's still going on, right? That's still yeah, it's called, it's called our podcast. <laughs> well, there you, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, there you go. Like I, I do, th- I do think that like, that's still maybe the more pop. I mean, even Yellowstone, again, I haven't seen Yellowstone. I mean, you, you have to let me know, Chris, if it sort of feels like it harkens back to uh, older shows, but I, I certainly think that there are a lot of popular, I mean, even like when I look at the, the, the Emmy nominees for best drama or comedy, they feel like they still harken back to old school TV. But my list, there are a lot of just, I think, you know what it is? I think there are a lot of new streamers that are just trying to take chances that are hmm. just like swinging for the fences. Cause a lot of my <laughs> list is coming from mm-hmm. some of those newer streamers. So as we get into the list, I have to just confess one thing to you guys, which is I initially had a number one so shocking that I think it would have gotten uh, howls from both of you, potentially for different reasons. It was deemed ineligible, not because I changed my mind, despite saying I have been a coward my whole life moments ago, on a technicality. I realized that the season that I was going to put at number one was technically a 2020 show. And so my last year's list is ridiculous. Really? But I, but this Whoa. was would have been my number one, and it would have been the boldest thing anyone's done on these podcasts. I thought, I thought it was because it was uh, Rachel Maddow on the night of January 6th and her, <laughs> her broadcast. <laughs> it, you know, I often go back to the Smithsonian to watch MSNBC's coverage of that entire day just because I like to be in situ. You know, I like to live in yeah. that. That moment Plus, you, again. you love museums, so and I love museums, especially now. Um, the no, this isn't my number one show of this year because it technically didn't release new episodes this year. But I deeply believe this is the best thing I've watched on TV in the last two years. Chris is never going to believe me, Sam. In within two years, you're going to believe me. And the show is called Bluey. 
Oh, it is an Australian yeah. cartoon. This oh, is about a family of dogs. Way too early in this pod for Daddington. Yes. I, yeah. Because no, we're starting and we're getting off dude. of it. But you guys need yeah. to know, and our listeners need to know, that if you think about anything that we want from television, including blue, absolutely God-level creativity, emotional stakes, beauty, truth, humor, heart, there is no better show. It is a groundbreaking, revolutionary broadcast for children's television and maybe all TV. You can watch two seasons streaming on Disney+. Plus. I even said the name right because I'm so serious about this show. Each season has 51 episodes. They are seven minutes long each. One guy writes all of them, the creator, Joe Brum. And I have never been more affected by a TV show, maybe since Twin Peaks 30 years ago. And I watch it with my entire family. And haven't you also probably seen each of the episodes like 403 times? I wish. No, oh. there's so many. We've sort of parceled them out and doled them out. And and the the journey that it takes you on, Sam, you are going to come I'm, back I'm on excited. the show. And you no, are going I'm, to agree with me. I believe it. I am not like I'm in Coco Melon. I got it. I'm What's incredible right now, by the way, is the face Chris is making is the face Jeremy Renner makes on the mayor of Kingstown poster. <laughs> <laughs> people won't be able to see the video, but can, I just want I, people to know. Confess? I don't even know about this show, Mayor of King. I mean, Mayor of Kingstown is is the other Taylor Sheridan show that's on right now, where Jeremy right. Renner plays like a Michael Clayton, but for jails. That sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it, is it on, I, is it on your list? It's on. It's not. Get? It didn't make it didn't make my list, but it would be in my top twenty, and it's on Paramount Plus if if you're looking for something to watch. Okay, got it. All right. I'll so the, the the boats have left Addington Island. It's time for for grown up night at the marina. Let's get into this. How do you want to do it? You want to go? You want to go? So 10-1? what we'll do is basically we'll go in order and we'll like go Sam, Andy, Chris. You say that you know you're gonna go. We're not gonna go through your whole te- top ten. We'll we'll do say number ten. If everybody else has it on their list, we'll mention where it is. We'll chat right. about the show. We'll move on. So Sam, you go first, and you have number ten here. And I gotta say, this show in the beginning of the year was probably number one. And I thought it was good. I honestly thought it was going to hold for the rest of the year. But again, this, this year it's been so fucking great that it felt, it almost, again, it almost went off the list, but it's uh, the, the show, my number 10 is it's a sin. That's so that's both on both me and Andy's list. For me, it's number five. For me, it's number three. Yeah. So it's so fucking good for me. It was number one up until like you yeah. know, a few months ago and it could easily still be my number one. It's just such an excellent show. I mean, to do a, a mini series about the AIDS epidemic, but to have it be that full of life and humor and style, the filmmaking is amazing. The writing is great to perform. It's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's a killer show on every level. Awesome. So the show, we talked about it a lot in the pod. We had the creator, Russell Davies, who many people know from Doctor Who and his many, many other series that he's created and run in the UK. We had him on the pod. You can go back and listen to those episodes. I think the thing to say about it that you didn't just say perfectly, Sam, which is that it is a show about uh, a, an epidemic of suffering and loss that is completely alive in every frame. I guess the right. question for you, Sam, is what struck us was just how the appetite for that show was so big like in an American version of it would have been five seasons and Russell Davies, it was so ravenous. He told the whole story in five hours, you know, and, and there was a kind of breathlessness and a boldness and audacity to that storytelling that was really surprising and refreshing. And I, I feel like as someone who is generally contemptuous of, of TV uh, traditions, uh, I wonder how you, if that struck you as well. 
Well, listen, we grew up with a lot of it did. It did. And I'll say it this way, because I think we grew up with a lot of like important miniseries that will explain to you the horrors mm -hmm. of the AIDS epidemic. And of course, I'm not trying to uh, uh, make light of what of what happened, but there is something about showing the the lives behind the epidemic, not really just fixating on it, but showing the lives behind it. And then, and then yes, doing this more abbreviated version, it makes it feel very weightless. And I've been using that word a lot. And I, initially I remember, I don't know, I remember reading crit reviews using that word. I never quite understood it. I always thought it was some pretentious thing that um, just went over my head. But then I realized, and I think it was this show that, that I had that feeling where I was like, wow, I'm, I'm feeling great watching this show. It has that rewatchability factor because of like the needle drops and the performances and, and sort of the, the verve of the filmmaking. But at the same time, it's heavy. It gets in you, man. Yeah. It really hits you emotionally to do that is. And, and that's why I think that word is perfect for this. That's where the weightlessness comes in. Cause even though it's heavy, you don't you don't feel it in the same way that you you do when you watch a drama with a capital D. You know what I mean? There's just a lightness to it that makes you makes you just want to. I mean, I devoured all the episodes. I watched mm -hmm. them. I didn't watch them. I, I, did they come out all at once or were they? I think they did. Yeah, they, yeah. I think it was when, I, when yeah. we found the show it was all out. Yeah. So I it's on all on I HBO mean, Max now. Yeah, it's highly recommended. Excellent. Excellent. It kind of, you know, I don't, Sam, I don't know if you had a chance to see Licorice Pizza yet, but that's another, um, a lot of that movie is about like running and momentum and young people like running head on into a kind of uh, oblivion slash sunrise where they're just like, maybe this, maybe tonight is going to be the best night of my life or the worst night of my life. And I thought, strangely, It's a Sin had that too. It had like a lot of propulsion. It had a lot of like energy that is then it's all the more tragic when that energy gets like sucked out of these people's lives and their lives come mm -hmm. to such a, a, a halt. But it, in a lot of ways, it never really does. I mean, those, they, exactly. they, they live through the entire thing. Yeah. Um, and Andy, what's your number 10? Guys, I, 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 I'm, I'm a human like all of us. When I, when I'm, when I'm cut, <laughs> I bleed. And sometimes at night I, I, when I turn on the, the television set, I, I just want to be, I want to be entertained by a interconnected cinematic and now television universe. And, I had to include Loki on my list. It was touch and go. God bless hacks. Genius God level show that I'm probably going to regret not having on my list. But I really did feel it was important to speak up for the little guy. In this case, the Bobs, Iger, Chapek, their whole operation, their ragtag operation down in Manhattan Beach where they made this show Loki. Um, jokes aside, I thought the degree of difficulty, I know no one's like feeling sorry for how challenging it is to make these incredibly successful shows. But to take these, to take this really challenging mandate of like, we want you to service our larger plot and move the ball forward a little, but also keep everything the same. And it also matters, but it doesn't. It's almost impossible from a, I feel like from a creative perspective to hit that sweet spot. And Michael Waldron and his collaborators on Loki got it. I feel like the show had inimitable style. It had a point of view. It had a lot of fun to it with um, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. And I just felt like they pulled it off to a degree that almost felt like they themselves were surprised by. Like, I think that of all the MCU stuff recently, this one succeeded on its own merits. I enjoyed it as a TV show without having watched 19 films and three other prior series. I also thought Kate Heron directed the hell out of that Yes. Show. She's an excellent filmmaker who I'd never heard of. 
um, until I saw the show. Yeah, she's yeah. So many the moving pieces, but the filmmaking yeah. is great. The production design was great. You production know, like they, great. their resources that they have available to them are what they are. But it's still a question of how you use it. You know, and they he still took time, Michael Waldron, to like make an animated clock be a major character, and that's got it. We need more thinking like that. I was really impressed by the show, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to stand for it. Sam, did you do a lot of MCU stuff? Did you did you watch much of it? Uh, I think you know you guys know my complicated. I, I'm not a I'm not a superhero guy, so yeah. I I don't. I mean, what did what was it? WandaVision, I, I Loki, Falcon, and now Hawkeye. I think I did not watch Hawkeye. I did watch Loki because again, I was like more taken by the filmmaking than anything else, and then. Um, what was the other ones? Uh, Falcon remember. and Winter oh, Soldier. WandaVision. Yeah. Wanda, WandaVision. WandaVision feels like it would be up your alley a little bit. I liked it up to a point, but then when it got to the superhero stuff, I was like, oh, not as interesting. So. Um, my number 10. Did you? Uh, wait, oh, was Loki on your list? Loki is not on my list. It, um, it. I, but if, okay. if I probably, if I was going to put an MCU thing on, I think it would probably be Loki. I, it would be in my top 20. But. Um, my number 10 is a show I talked about a little bit last week. It's a, a show, a British comedy called Motherland, which is now available, I believe, on Sundance TV, and you can get it on like AMC+. Plus. It's uh, from the Sharon Horgan umbrella of shows. She's, she's one of the co-creators. It was initially uh, something that she was doing for US TV, uh, I think for ABC, back in 2011, and it didn't work out, and she took the um, pilot and retooled it. It's about a few working mothers or rather a few mothers in a London neighborhood who some, some of them work, some of them don't and one father. And it's essentially this incredibly profane, funny, candid comedy about what happens basically between when they drop their kids off at school and have to go pick them up. There's it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but as essentially the premise, most of the episodes start with them dropping their kids off at school and then going off and uh, one of the things that I love the most about it, I just want to shout her up because she's probably my favorite performer of this year, is uh, Anna Maxwell Martin, who's the star of the show. And a lot of the times on sitcoms, especially ones with uh, sort of more barbed ones, they over time they soften the protagonist because they realize to have you know, to get, to get people to keep going with the show. And this this show is on its third series and plus a Christmas special. Shout out to British TV. Uh, you have to soften the the main character, at least in the U.S., because after a while, Michael Scott or you know, you know, Amy Poehler on Parks, you want to feel like this person's a little bit more of a an audience avatar, and they have not done that with uh, with the main character of Motherland, who remains just like basically always ready to to down a, a white wine at lunch and is trying to figure out her life. And it, it's just a fantastic show and it's really digestible if people are looking for a binge over the holidays. I highly recommend it. So that's, where's the, that's my number 10. Where's the show for people who drop their kids off at school and then come podcast? <laughs> where's that show? show? That Let me speak show. my truth. <laughs> now, do you, do you is want it, is it, Also, to... is this the place in our list where I try to cheat and say my number 12 was Feel Good, the great May Martin comedy that's on Netflix well, because Chris mentioned well, a comedy set in London and I wish I'd included it on my list. Okay, Sam, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that is on the Emmys list, but we're not, we're, you know. Feel Good. Which one? Feel Good? Feel Good, yes. Yes, but it's not number 10. It's not number 10. We'll get okay. there. Number 10 on her list is We Are Lady Parts, which was one Another of my UK honorable comedy. mentions. Yeah, it's one fucking of my great as well. Awesome show. Yeah, yeah, it's so good and close to my top ten, but didn't make it. But an excellent well, show. Sam, keep the mic. Uh, why okay, don't you my do, number, tell my us? My nine. 
Yeah. I am so curious how you guys are going to feel. But by the way, if Kaya wants to, I know she doesn't have a top 10 this year, but definitely if she has opinions, love to hear them. But I, I, I'm so curious what you guys are going to think about this because I don't know. I haven't really seen it in a lot of top 10s. I think it's mm-hmm. superbly directed, performed, production. I mean, literally everything we just said about um, uh, It's a Sin, I feel like physical physical is my number nine. Physical on, on, on Apple TV with Rose Byrne, which I think her performance in that show is probably one of the best performances on TV I've seen. I don't. I think it might be my favorite performance of the year. Have you guys watched the show? Yes, yeah. and I, I. Well, this is. I think we're probably. Yeah, I agree with you about the performance, and I agree with you about the boldness of the show. I was completely in for most of the first season. I did finish the first season, but I did. I did find it. it it's one of those things where I admire and respect the show on a number of levels. And I know that often sounds like I'm sort of cutting it down while I'm praising it. But the whole mission of the show is to push everything, you know, to push our our comfort level, our tolerance, our understanding, our perception of this character and the world that she's in. And it was diminishing returns for me by episode eight or nine. I finished the season. It would have made my top 20 for sure. But I didn't ultimately buy into the collective vision of the first season to the oh, degree that I, I had hoped. I I thought it was great. I thought it was so much fun. It was one of those shows because they did do a weekly on it that I just kept refreshing the page because I wanted the next episode yeah. so badly. <laughs> so I was watching it weekly. And I mean, Lou Taylor Pucci is a fucking hilarious. In the show. He's great. There's so, yeah. many, there's so many little... It's even the guy who plays the campaign manager is fucking great. I don't know his name. Uh, like, there's just little pockets here and there where the show just continually surprised me and yeah i i i mean i didn't mind them pushing it i thought that was sort of her the the kind of window into her ed and the and the and mm-hmm. her kind of aggressive voiceover in contrast with the way she acts i don't know i thought that aggression was part of the tone of the show it is but it wasn't but you're saying it it was grating to you after a while or it didn't come together for you because that to me was like a a feature not a bug I think it absolutely is a feature and I think that, it, you know, and I respect everyone involved with the show for sticking to it and Apple for greenlighting it and not softening it in any way because it is not, you know, it's it, at times it's not an easy watch. And even when it's funny and things, it is, it is, it, it, it's at, a, it's at 11. And I think that it's just, I found the intensity level and the lack of variance in it diminishing in terms of my overall appreciation of the show over the course of the first season. But it's one of those ones where, yeah, it would have made my long list, and I'm very interested to see what else they want to do with this character in this world and where they're gonna, how they're gonna push it forward. Sam, I don't want to get lost in what would obviously be like a 90 minute conversation about the difference between movies and TV. But when you were watching Physical, where you were like, "This should be a feature," and this is mm-hmm. the kind of feature that doesn't get made anymore, really, and it would have been like a very cool like character study about a kind of somewhat small town crime. Great setting, great time period, great lead performance, great ensemble around it. it. Does that stuff ever pop up for you when you're watching TV now? Well, I think it, I was going to talk about this with my next pick, but I'll kind of preview it a little bit. One of the things that I loved about a lot of the TV, especially the one the 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 TV that's on my list, but a lot of the TV in general that came out this year, was the fact that it did not 
uh, feels so old-fashioned TV that it did feel this quasi-middle ground between short-term or movies, short-term, short, what's it called? Short form storytelling versus Mm -hmm. short form storytelling versus long form. There is this weird middle ground where people are, filmmakers are really experimenting. And no, I'd have to say, look, I could physical be a movie. I I don't know. I mean, I'd have to see the whole, you know, I have to see the whole story. But for me, there, it was this sort of weird in between thing that it was trying to do because even though it had the serialized storyline, which is not like breaking any sort of, groundbreaking territory right now but it does have this tone it i hate saying it this way because this always sounds pretentious too it does have this like sort of cinematic tone that felt like you were going to watch one story but i like that i like that about it and again when we get to my other picks that feeling of like oh i think they have an ending in mind that doesn't scare that mm-hmm. i lean in more because the one thing I do hate, and we've talked about this with other shows, is when I know they don't fucking have an ending in mind. And we're the point of the show is to spin the wheels <laughs> and just like have you hang out. Like, I, like to me, that feels like a waste of time. For me, I love that there's a momentum to the story and that it, there does, it feels purposeful. It feels like there's an ending like that they're driving towards. So again, I, 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 I don't think you should right, be held. Chris, that this could have been a movie, but. But I I liked it because of that. Go ahead, sorry, Andy. I, I was just gonna say, Sam, you shouldn't be you shouldn't hold yourself to any like round robin tournament format. Use use your number eight if, if it's part of the same argument. Yeah. Okay, so I'm I, I don't even know if you guys have seen this show. Maybe not even heard of this show because no one I know uh, knows about it. But uh, Mr. Corman on Apple. Oh, TV. the Joseph Gordon Levin show. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. I we watched didn't the first episode. I didn't. It's fucking great. It is fucking great. And the way he experiments with form, every episode, it's unlike any show you'll ever see. I mean, or that you have seen. I, I've certainly not seen anything resembling anything like it. The way he is playing with storytelling and the way he's playing with style and, and, and sort of like, like the premise of the show is it's about a, I think a middle school teacher. But that has nothing to do with the sort of draw of what that show is really about, which I think he's doing a lot of things. He's like, there's a lot of stylistic choices that make you feel like, okay, well, maybe I'm watching a filmmaking, uh, a, a filmmaker just experiment from time to time. But then there are experiments where it's just two characters talking and it's very human and very grounded and there's zero style. I mean, it just shows the elasticity of story of, TV storytelling and the future of TV storytelling. Yeah, this show, like if uh, unlike any other show, to me showed me like, oh, there is there there's like a whole new version of TV that we have not yet seen yet. And this show, I think, like is like kind of raising a flag to that. Go ahead, Andy. And, and I think that what what, what we've deter- no no, I I just think that it's it's really worthwhile to jump on that and say that like a constant that we've seen from you, Sam, and talking to you about this over the years is that what motivates you and what gets you excited is when there is a creator or a series of creators or you know filmmakers who have a very specific idea or story that has a full shape to it. And then they look at the options available to them and say, this is the right vessel to put it in. 
right? Whether it's right. a feature film or I could have 10 episodes, I'm going to break these episodes up in this way, not being beholden to any kind of convention, but this makes sense to have it be 10 half hours or four hours total or whatever. And then they get the full expression of that idea. What you don't have time for is, you know, first of all, an old fashioned model of like, I've got a hospital and we'll just see how many years this can go. Obviously that's not that, that type of show doesn't really make it, make any of our lists, but, but to your point, like that's why, and you know, we're, we're, we're breaking the convention a little bit of the podcast here, but like um, underground railroad, um, Barry Jenkins show is on my list at number six. It's, it's online almost, as, you know, as, Chris, two. as Chris and I struggled, uh, you know, talking about it when it debuted. And then even, you know, we expressed this in our interview with Barry when he was kind enough to come on the podcast is basically like, this show could be my number one. It could not be on the list. It, it's so sui generis. It's so totally unique. Yeah. But what it what you can say about it, what you can say a lot about it, and we ought to, is that Barry Jenkins was deeply moved and inspired by Colson Whitehead's book. And he thought about the ways, what he wanted to bring to the story, what he felt was worth saying within the story and adding to the story of the book. And what made sense for him was this shape, which was 10 episodes. One, you know, Some episodes are over an hour. One episode is like 20 minutes. Um, and it is unlike anything else you're going to see on any screen this year. It is completely transporting. It's moving. It's challenging in a lot of ways, but our TV screens were the right vessel for it. And we got to see unadulterated, one of our best filmmakers pouring himself into something and, you know, not comparing Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Barry Jenkins as artists or filmmakers, but that is a common thread, I think in, in the two shows or in some of, in many of the shows that you're interested in talking about. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for me, Underground Railroad was it, like, to me, that's, you know, Barry Jenkins. I mean, he's the goat, right? Like, there's not a, uh, there's not like a, um, in terms of just craft, there's not a missed beat. There's, mm-hmm. there's just, I mean, the guy just, he just hits every mark out of 10 every single time. And that show should not have been as, as easy for me to watch as it was. I know there were, there was like this like kind of thing going around on social media where people didn't want to binge it and shouldn't have been a weekly thing. I mean, for me, it's difficult as, as the story was and, 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 and watching the the characters go through what they were going through. The filmmaking just elevated it to this, to this. You're uh, almost watching that. Like you're just watching a a master painting on the canvas. Pure cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said. So, you know, that one episode that was 20 minutes and, you know, and doesn't even uh, consist of any of the main characters. So that's what Mr. Corman does literally every episode. And, and, and I mean, you know, with varying degrees and it's an ongoing series. That's one thing I want to point out because I do see a lot of experimentation going on in the limited series. Right. I mean, we saw that, especially like, I mean, dude, it was stacked this year. I mean, I remember when the Emmys came around, I mean, honestly, a lot of them were just like, you know, just masterpieces on their own. It was hard. To, it was hard to compare. My number one show last year was in that category. I, I may destroy it. So the fact that Mr. Corman is an ongoing series or I mean, it got canceled, which is sad, but was planned to be an ongoing series and was as experimental as it was. I just I don't know. I, I I'd, say, I'd say tell your viewers, or, or I'm, I guess I'm telling your viewers, give it a shot because I think yeah, it's you're telling fantastic. our listeners, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or your listeners, your listeners. So you guys are all talking about pushing the boundaries, and I obviously adore Underground Railroad. If, if I had a top 
11, it would be right there. Um, and uh, if you ask me on Tuesday, I might have it as high as either of you. But the next couple of my picks are shows that I feel like are doing really interesting work Somewhat more within the framework, not of like quote unquote traditional TV, because I can't imagine either of these shows ever having been on at any other time. But uh, my number nine pick is For All Mankind, and my number eight pick is Yellow Jackets. And those are two shows that I think have DNA with other TV shows that you would have seen before, you know, whether it's Lost or whether it's Battlestar Galactica, because obviously the Ron Moore connection. But uh, For All Mankind has uh, had its leap season, at least in my opinion, on uh, Apple and did that thing that I think we love so much in TV, which is just that kind of go for broke feeling of when uh, the writers and the creative people behind a television show are just like, we're emptying the fucking notebook right now and like we'll worry about season three when we make it. And yet there is also kind of an architecture to the show where when you get to the end of season two, and I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't gotten a chance to see it, and you kind of feel, you understand where the show is going, you're like, oh, you guys knew all along what you were going to do with this. And just in terms of scope and scale and feel, like, is a pretty tremendous achievement of sci-fi filmmaking, I think, like on a week-to-week basis, and has some of the, like, old-school right stuff vibes of, like, this is the tactile, mechanical way that you build these things. And then there is also just the like, what if, if you could dream it, it can happen uh, element to it. Some great performances. And I, I just really adore uh, For All Mankind. I don't, didn't, nobody else had that. Uh, Sam's on your list? It's on my list, but it was, it was earlier in the year and it, um, it dropped down to honorable mention, sadly. But I totally agree with you. I, I, and I only, this is all due to Alan Seppenwall. I had not watched the first season. He started raving about the second season. Yeah. So I went back and rewatched the first season and was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then the second season, you're absolutely right. It just takes it, kicks it up to another level. I mean, that show does feel a little like old school TV Classical. in the way yeah. it's assembled. Yeah, especially the ensemble nature ABC of it. ABC plot. ABC yeah. storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Ron Moore, he just executes it on such a high level. And I mean, he always has that it's, it's, it feels new and it feels very uh, like, like what you said. I, I, I think maybe ultimately that's why I appreciate the show. Like, Oh, it, they know where they're going. You can't do that ending in season two without making sure everything is dialed in so right. perfectly that it hits in the right way. It, you guys it's pretty great. You guys should do yellow jackets. Cause you brought it up. I think yeah. uh, two of the yeah. three of us so, have it. Well, I, I have a question to you about yellow jackets. Have you seen more than me? Meaning I've seen a I've little bit seen... more than you. I haven't seen the end, but I think that my overall feeling for the show stands. Okay. So this show, when I've watched it, I only, I started watching it when it, whenever it came out on showtime, it was at number nine. Then I watched another episode. Then went up to number seven. At this point, it's number three. Oh, yes. Wow. Because it's fucking great. Yes. And I honestly thought, man, if I see the whole season, it could be number one. I mean, it's that good. It's that fucking good. And uh, we'll get to Andy's like, you know, weird criticism about the show. But I, I, I think the show, I mean, it does something that I haven't really seen in movies or, or TV. It shifts tone and genre so deftly. It's weak. It's like one time it's, you know, one second it's a survival story. One second it's like a gruesome, violent 
horror horror movie yeah yeah Yeah. and then and then it's a coming of age story that's sweet and tender and then it's desperate housewives and then it's it's so it's fucking phenomenal in the way that it shifts gears and again the filmmaking i think karen kusama directed the the first couple of episodes top top notch the needle drops i mean i i'm i'm getting i mean you guys grew up in the 90s along with me like you know when you start seeing that stuff it you know, when they start doing the needle drops and they pick all the top 40 songs from the 90s, it starts to get a little annoying. I think they did a pretty good job of picking the, you know, top hits, but then some obscure shit in, mixed in there. And it, it just, there's something about it that feels extremely authentic, but extremely stylized at the same time. And to pull that combination off, I, I don't know. It's fun. By the way, and it's got this weird sci-fi element. Yeah, it's, it's essentially like an insanely dense plot, plot, plot genre show that also has this like extra layer of meta commentary on like 90s alternative culture getting old. And it feels very much drawn from the aesthetic of listening to Hole and listening to the Breeders and listening to to those bands. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just been such an awesome watch on a week-to-week basis. It's it's probably the most excited I've been. Like after what I think it's one of the best pilots I've ever seen. In, 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 well, not ever, but for a while. I've not seen a great pilot like that where I just felt energized and excited. Mm-hmm. And then and then the fact that the second episode did not let me down. In fact, it, it just... Again, like I said, it, it it kept jumping up in my top 10. I, I, I just can't wait to see the rest of the show. And I honestly don't know if I've... Because the other thing about this show is that there is a mystery box element to it. It really is a grab bag of every like sort of popular TV genre. And they somehow mix it together in this, yeah. in this really elegant way. Anyway, I, Andy, I think go ahead. It, let's, it, let's, it, in my, let's in my defense, saying. I'm not even going to naysay. In my defense, I'll say that at this moment in culture and this year the reasons for not having something on a list or not watching something are very complicated and more diverse than they've ever been you know especially but you don't like the show it's not that it's well not i didn't on your list. well no here's what i want to say like so i didn't as a critic i not i had to watch things all the things and then continue to watch them except in like particularly egregious cases past the pilot and there were things that I then learned to like, you know, there were, there, there are shows that find their footing. There are shows that find you at the wrong time when you first engage with them. There are shows that don't fit into the fabric of your life. And I think that that is especially true uh, at the moment when everything is available to you by choice. And it's not just, am I going to watch this new show or this new show? It's, am I going to watch the Fox Noir films, the Criterion channel just threw up this weekend when you have the, the small choice to do it. So in the case of the two shows you're mentioning, I am not here to say that they are bad. There are shows that may be on your list, Sam, that I will I will put my you know I'll stamp on the record as disliking. For all mankind, uh, I am pretty convinced I would love the second season of, and I am excited to engage with it. That was the pilot hurdle. I watched the pilot, and it felt fine, totally competent, but not especially exhilarating to use the words, you know, the, the, the feeling you're talking about, Sam, that we're all chasing now and with pilots in pursuit of something new. I wasn't motivated to continue, especially knowing I had to get there. And I've heard that from people, you know, from listeners of the podcast about a number of things and everything ranging everything from succession to halt and catch fire, the leftovers, people who say like, this is my favorite show, but man, I was really, it took me a while to get there. So I'm probably wrong about that. Yellow Jackets, pilot turned me off, mm-hmm. just turned me off. 
the way you speak about Why? it, the way I, two I people that speak about it means that it probably caught me on the wrong Tuesday, you know, and I need to re-engage with it and give it a shot on its own terms because it's not, it's not qualitatively bad. It might even be great. And I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. And it might be as simple as the particular ingredients in its story smoothie just didn't taste good together for me when I was watching it. I, 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 I was put off by it. But you don't like violent stuff, right? Like you don't like I, I, a lot of violence. I, I, I don't like violent stuff that feels, you know, and again, Chris knows better than anyone, maybe other than our listeners, that I have a hair trigger these days with new stuff and accepting things on their own terms. But so I'm not saying that this is what Yellow Jackets does, but in my viewing of it, it was the type of hyperviolence that felt untethered to emotion or context or character or humanity that leaves me feeling kind of dead. Oh, like wow. I just Well, that that to me is the shocker because I think there's a lot of humanity in the show. But if you continue on, I I mean, but I felt it in the first episode. I don't know, Chris, did, didn't you? Yeah, but I also I don't mind violence untethered to humanity. Well, that well, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but I don't think but I don't think it is untethered. Yeah, I no, agree it, with you, but e- I don't either think Either way, it is. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, speaking of hyperviolence, I feel like now is as good a time as any to talk about the taste sensation of 2021 Squid Game, uh, which is on my list. It's on my list. N- number nine. Sam, is that on your list? Of, of course it is. Number it's six. On, it's number, number six five. for me. Yeah. Okay, so we, we've... Five, five, this is one of those ones, and I, and I think Chris and I talked about it a lot on, on the show already, so I think we're mostly interested in, Sam, your perspective on it. But I, it, the excitement you know, that this show brought just on its own merits on TV is one thing, but also just to like the conversation about TV and the way people felt about it and the way it did feel like a, a global phenomenon was truly thrilling. And the only other thing that I'll, I'll say about it at this moment is, Okay, jokes about me being a coward aside or reality about it being aside. <laughs> did you actually is... watch this show? You yeah. watched it from beginning. I loved you it. You didn't close your eyes? Did you close your eyes? No. I loved it. Wow. Um, and, and Sam, you can speak to this directly. It's not necessarily something as premeditated as, as cowardice, but when people get the opportunity to tell a story that is going to cost a company money or, or a lot of eyeballs are on it or there's a lot of expectations, conservative mission creep can start you know, yes. and I, I say this in the podcast all the time. I, I probably don't say it enough to you, but I, I cite the time when you and I sat down for the first time with our friends from UCP, the studio, and you wanted to make Briar Patch, which was awesome. And I came in there armed with all my ideas for season two and three about what else is going to happen to Allegra. And you were like, why, why would you make it boring? Like, why would you make it conventional? Tell the whole story. And I I it was a really chastening moment for me because I had spent all these years as a critic being like, do the bold thing, everyone. And as soon as I had my chance at the ring, I was like, let's slow down the merry-go-round. I bring this up in context of Squid Game is because it's not that it was particularly new, although it was definitely pushed certain things in a lot of directions. It was just so totally and wholly fearless and committed to its own bit that it was absolutely right. electric. And and that as much as anything else is why I, I love the show. I, I couldn't have said it better. And I want to add to the conversation because I mean, let's not forget that there were three big budgeted, really big budget shows that came out this year. Foundation, yep, based on a huge Asimov property. Um, the Wheel of Time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Invasion. I mean, we're talking a lot of money. Blockbuster. On these yeah. shows. 
But the cultural conversation was around, you know, a Korean show that was a fraction of that budget that was incredibly violent um, and, uh, and, 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 and like you said, took a bunch of risks. And I think the opposite is happening when you have to put down a lot of money. Although, you know, I will say this, like, I think one of the reasons why Game of Thrones was such a huge success is because a lot of money was thrown, was thrown down and they took a lot of risks. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, one, one doesn't mean that's, the opposite. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like that's the, to me, that's, I, look, I don't understand the phenomenon of Squid Game. That should have been a show that I discovered on Netflix and loved it and told a few friends. Um, I don't understand how, weren't people in like, the Midwest watching it too. Like it was literally number one around planet earth. Yeah. It it was insane. And it had no right to be, but it was exactly what you said, Andy, it's commitment and fearlessness was in, I think it was just contagious. It was infectious and it, uh, it it was new. I mean, look, sure. Like, you know, the, the idea of, of rich people being mean to poor people or playing games with poor people, you know, that concept, but the way this was executed and in the, the style that it was executed. And honestly, I think culturally, the fact that we're looking at it through the lens of a, a, a of a Korean filmmaker, Korean showrunner, um, it's, it felt completely fresh. It was completely fresh. So for, yeah, a hundred percent, like to me that uh, Squid Game is, um, you know, I was a showrunner, the, also the filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. I think, I think to me, that's probably one of the things that I admire most about that show is that it was, it was, you could tell that there was a vision from beginning to end that was never compromised that, mm-hmm. Someone told them you have a show and left them alone or left him alone. Well, isn't that also the difference between what you're talking about in the beginning without getting into specifics or even disparaging any of those shows like Foundation or Wheel of Time or Invasion where it's like that's like making a show to answer a question, you know what I mean? Or making a show to, to sort of fill out the other end of an equation and Squid Game feels literally like it was just like parachuted down from somewhere where from art mountain where they were like hey we we made we told this story exactly the way we wanted to tell it Mm -hmm. he had been working on that show for about a decade you know i mean like that that was something that was so fully realized and you're right sam felt so unfucked with well because i think you know that dumb question that always gets asked who's who's the audience for this the minute you start asking, the minute the creator or the filmmakers or anybody in the writing team starts asking that question, that's when you get really safe shit that nobody cares about. Or, yeah. or, 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 or maybe they'll have viewership, but it won't be part of the conversation because it won't, it won't have that kind of, uh, uh, sort of relevance that I think you have when you're like, I'm making this shit for me. I mean, I think that's what, that's what the Squid Game filmmaker did, the creator did. He's, he knew what he liked. He knew what excited him as a storyteller. And he went out and executed that. And that honestly, that to me, look, that can, and that's not to say that that's like a, a recipe for, you know, that, that's, you're not going to get like A plus material every, every time that, that a person goes out and does that. But at the same time, it's to me the best path of finding something this, uh, I guess what you, the way you described it, uh, Chris, parachuted out like this original. I mean, again, I'm not saying that the concept is that original, but the way he blended all those elements together really, to me, just, yeah, it just felt like uh, uh, of its own. And, uh, you know, again, 
to keep harping back on this point, this is where TV gets super exciting because I don't think you would have seen that 20 years ago. No. Not a foreign language you know, uh, show where you have to read subtitles. Well, hopefully, if you have the settings yeah. right on Netflix, you read the subtitles. Being this much of a phenomenon, no, that doesn't happen. Let me just, in the spirit of moving things along, let me give you my number eight, which you probably could have seen on television at other points in history, which is uh, Emily Mortimer's adaptation of uh, The Pursuit of Love on Amazon Prime. I adored the show. It, 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 it's a British costume drama, but it is absolutely not old fashioned. There are punk needle drops. There's brilliant performances from Lily James and Andrew Scott, the hot priest uh, from, from uh, Fleabag, as well as Dominic West people know from The Wire and The Affair, but actually having the time of his life as a kind of insane dog hunting obsessed, uh, fox hunting obsessed. He has a lot of dogs. English Lord, uh, it is powerful. It is concise. It is three hours of your viewing time, and it's just expertly and beautifully made. I loved it. And, you know, sometimes these top 10 lists are just about shining that light on things that may have slipped through the cracks. I have ne- never even heard of it. So now that I have, I will, I will check it out. So, Andy, like that it. was your number seven? I think that was my number eight. We're sort of sliding around. Um, okay. Well, but, I want to throw out Emmy's number seven because it's also on my honorable mention. I think you two like it. I've heard you talk about it, which is Love Life. It did not make oh, yeah. my top ten, sadly. It was close. Did it make either one of you? It's on my honorable 10? mentions. It's yeah. our long list. It's so good this year. I mean, I really like the first season. Uh, Andy, I know you had problems with the first season, which you're wrong about. But the second season just is is so fucking great. And William Jackson Harper... I mean, that guy's a star. He's awesome. He's our, t- he's, star. He, he's our best TV star. And I don't even mean that like to, to, to make him smaller than a movie star. I just think he's, he's, he's magic. He's totally charismatic and phenomenal and sells any material he's in, including Underground Railroad. I could watch him and Jessica Williams together all day long. It's great stuff. one of the best romantic comedies I've seen in a while. Okay. I'm done sliding around. Chris, do you want to? No, well, I, I was just going to say, we, Andy and I can actually, we'll, we'll table this one because I was going to say Succession is my... Uh, number seven and holy shit wait 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 what happened here what do you mean because it's too this low is, this is you yes both um, you and andy love you dedicate half your podcast to this show it de- it's not a te- it's I, everything that is above succession here i think was extraordinary i thought succession was extraordinary this season i just think that i have a tendency to uh over probably emphasize newer stuff or things that came to a conclusion in this season or in, in this year. So that usually winds up pushing. This isn't the first time succession has wound up gotten pushed down a little bit. I, I also think that in past years, and we've probably said it at the time, there was definitely a year recently where I had a top five and then there was other stuff I liked. You know, this year, the quality was so high. I don't even know if we officially are on the record agreeing with what you were saying at the top, Sam, because I think we both agree. It's top seven, eight on my list. I just... I can't tear it past that. Like, I love all this stuff. That said, that's crazy low, Chris. You're insane. Where did you have be, Succession? Wow. Number two. Number two. Okay. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about Succession, so we don't have to belabor it anymore. Yes. Uh, Sam, why don't you go next? So my number seven, I know is a show that Andy has not seen. I think you've seen it, Chris. I don't know if it's on your list. Midnight Mass. Of course, man. It's not on my list, but I did see it, yeah. And I thought you would like it. Oh, it's not on your list. Yeah. I mean, huh. it would be on the 20, but it's not in my, my I think it's the best thing he's ever done. I think it's really challenging. I, I thought it... What, I, would I, you, what would you put up with it? Like, I, 
I thought it was better than Haunting of Hill House. Oh, no? do you mean just the shows or his movies too? His movies too. I mean, yeah, I think it's better. I think Hill House, I still have that over this. Wow. Yeah. I, I think it, this is one of those shows where I, it, first of all, the endings of every, I couldn't stop watching it. You know, there were parts of the show because it is like a, a really meditative, you know, very slowly paced show. And it's really talking about large themes about life and faith. And, and so, you know, I'm watching the episode going, okay, this will be good. And I'll turn in after, after this episode. And this motherfucker at the end of every episode hits you with like the craziest cliffhanger that grabs you by the throat and just drags you into the next episode. I could not stop watching it. It's pretty fucking excellent, especially the filmmaking. He monologues a lot, and I know that I've heard criticism about it. I fucking love all his monologues. I, I, I just thought this was his best writing, best filmmaking. I love this show. Yeah, Hamish Linklater, one of the performances of the year. Uh, Hamish, oh my God. Who's also an Angeline, by the way. Andy, um, let you, me. Oh, so yeah. Sam, do you have another one? I, I'm just going to yeah. throw out. Keep uh, motoring through. Emmy's, well, I guess this is number six. Call My Agent. Was that on either one of your lists? Do you know about I, this show? I love that show. And gotten a lot, I feel like I bored everyone talking about it. But I think that the fourth season fell off so dramatically that I may never recover. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I, could, I barely okay. could finish it. I, after I adoring I the first three seasons. I don't watch it. So I'll report back to Emmy. You can bring her in love, at any time. Love, she can crash. She can crash into this podcast like the Kool Aid Man at any moment. <laughs> well, Andy, what about you? What's your number seven? Are we at uh, number seven? Uh, well, yeah, we're at seven. For me, is something that we're going to talk about later, so we can table it. But it's the White Lotus for me at seven. Got it. Um, and we can. Well, I know that's coming up higher on other lists, so let, we can we can move past it. And then six is Underground Railroad. And then we're into my we're into my top five. So yeah. where should we go next? This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, 
view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Well, Sam, what about you? What do you what's your next one? Okay, so my next one, D- Dave. Are we at Dave yet? Oh, wow. Do any of you have Dave? Talk about it. Tell us about it. How you guys don't love Dave? Uh, I don't think I've laughed harder at a show than Dave this year. I think it's by far the best comedy, just in terms of pure laughs. But then on top of that, I think there's something about what he's exploring in terms of narcissism in the context of like, you know, modern culture, tech and social media. There's just something about the way he's like sort of self-deprecating, which in and of itself is narcissism, while at the same time sort of actually digging, digging around. I don't know. There is something about the way he kind of scratched that topic that felt very unique because generally speaking, I don't love a lot of shows that try and be didactic about, well, here's the problem, Twitter and texting and we're not (laughs) all alone. Like, I mean, I, I, I get like, but Dave finds a kind of very human, human way to tackle that that doesn't feel um, condescending or overly simplified. But at the same time, it's just really fucking funny. And I got, I got also just, just to, just to say it too, the filmmaking is pretty extraordinary. The, I think the performances are great. Even, you know, again, the little side characters, like they're all just doing really unique, funny stuff. Yeah. And I think it got better you know, from I loved the first season, and then I think they topped it with the second season. So yeah, Dave, which by the way I believe is also on Emmy's list. On Emmy's list, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm realizing it's not Part really reflective two, of what I'm looking for here in TV, but very low on comedy because Feel Good and Hacks probably stupidly, and Girls Five Eva and these shows that I really did enjoy didn't crack the top ten. But the what next one the that shadows. I want to bring up, yeah, what we do in the shadows, which I thought was kind of had an off year, but is still always good. Um, but staying in the realm of FX, which I think has the best comedy development there is, is a show that is my number five, but could be any, could be four, three, two, or one. Uh, it was Reservation Dogs. It's my number it's three. On, is that on your list, Sam? Did you check it out? It's honorable mention. I just, you know, we talked about it a lot on the show and we had Sterling Harjo on to talk about it, but I just, the, 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 the feeling that I want to go back to is what you were saying, Sam, about the exhilaration you feel when you, when a show locks in you know, and it could go in any direction and you're there for it. And there's something almost more exciting about where Reservation Dogs is right now than almost any other show on the list, because you could feel it finding its legs, that this can be 
a hilarious, goofy stoner comedy, or it can be a heist movie, or it can be incredibly compelling emotional storytelling about generational trauma. It can do all of those things. It can do all of them at once, and it doesn't really see the distinction between them. And I love that. I mean, like Atlanta before it, it's an unfair comparison because Atlanta is continually our number shared number one, I think, whatever year that it's on. It has that thing where it could be anything. And it's just, it's really exciting to know where it's, to, to not know where it's going to go next. Well, look, I think, I, I think I agree with everything you said. I think there, the, um, the show is excellent. And by the way, that is old school TV too. It's characters. It's a yeah. setting. It's a world. It's a vibe. It's something they haven't seen. And you come out and you hang and you're right. It does do the, it does take that experimental form of, uh, expanding its tone. And really zigging when it's zagging. I mean, there are moments in that show where I'm laughing, I'm laughing, and then it hits me with this yeah. like heartfelt thing where I'm like, well, holy shit, okay. I didn't know you could do that. And with characters or with actors, I didn't know we're strong enough to do that until yeah. that moment happens. And I'm like, oh, you're really good. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's also the writing and the, and the filmmaking. There, There's also, you know, to me, you know, FX has like a, you know, sometimes the comedies can be mean. I mean, I know Dave has a lot of like, you know, everyone's cutting each other down. Reservation Dogs has that to some extent, but it's like, I think it's misleading. It's really more about people that care about each other. Oh, yeah. versus, oh so much. Versus, versus yeah. people trying to tear each other down for the humor. And I think that, that, that it's a, feels it's a, it's really a very special. Kind, it's a kind show, ultimately. It is. It is, yeah. The, uh, the run of episodes that I think really lit me and Andy up that three episode run towards the second half of the season. I think it's, what is it? Six, five, six, seven, Andy, something or something like, like that. that. It's when the show, it, it were basically showcase episodes for each character and you get this on. Right. When they were switching, you, get, you know, with the, with the lady with the hooves and I mean, and, and the Bill yeah. Burr episode, I mean, it, it's really a knockout and I'm excited for more people to discover it during its uh, hiatus. Yeah. So season. that's, that was actually my number three show of the year. Uh, I'll go number five or number four here which is uh, The North Water, which is Andrew Hayes' uh, miniseries starring Jack O'Connell and Colin Farrell set on uh, a whaling ship in the 19th century. It's essentially like a very, you know, classical story about uh, man versus nature, man versus man. Are you man man versus the devil? Yeah, the Uh, focus here, guys, is man. But in terms of um, transporting you to another place, in terms of... uh, truly elite kind of as good as it can get filmmaking told over the course of mm-hmm. several hours in terms of like that sense of um i mean for this show specifically we were talking about squid game but this is another one that i felt like it just tumbled out of andrew hay like co- as a complete statement artistically it's just the show that probably has stuck with me the most in a lot of ways i found it like haunting i thought it was strong the entire run through it's a couple of different shows within it. I think it, it kind of changes over the course of the run. It's definitely not uh, for the week of heart, but it is uh, a really rewarding watch. I think if people can catch up with it and it's, it's, it's really like, it's the one that I think I will keep thinking about years to come. It's on my list, Chris. I've heard you rave about it. I haven't gotten to it. You're going to, I think you will really, really, really like yeah, it. It's re- it's really good. It's really worthwhile. I'm glad we're showcasing it. Sam, you're next. Okay, so my number four, which, again, this is a show I don't hear anyone talking about. People did talk about it a lot. Um, And I think this is probably its best season, is Master of None. Did you guys check out the new season? I did. I watched it. 
And and your thoughts? I thought it was really interesting. Like I I I thought it wow. was yeah, but I didn't love it. I I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was um, I honestly thought it was a masterpiece. When Emmy and I finished it, and by the way, it's on it's her number one. Oh wow! Um, I thought it was it was I was it reminded me more of Bergman than Scenes from a Marriage did. Let me put it that way. The filmmaking was so controlled and so precise. The performances by Lena Waite and Naomi Aki, you, you can't do better than what they're doing uh, from episode to episode. It's funny, but not in that kind of, I, I don't want to say broad because it's, the show was never broad, but not in that sort of one-liner kind of way that the show was more used to. It's just very, uh, it's just a great observation on human behavior. Uh, in this really authentic way, and again with a with, with a world that isn't isn't shown a lot on on TV or movies, and I just thought it was the most. I guess like the word precise keeps coming up, but it it was kind of perfect to me from beginning to end. There was never a dull moment. There was never a, a, a tone like a weird tonal thing or anything. And the and the where the camera was in these long takes. Where he just, what he does with blocking, which is incredibly hard. I'm talking about Aziz, who I think directed all the episodes. It's a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Brilliant show. Did you watch it, Andy? I started it. I, I find it aesthetically incredibly compelling. I, I absolutely am connecting with what you're saying about the consideration of the, uh, the framing of the filmmaking, all the care and thought put into every detail of it there was something that ultimately left me cold about it. Like there was a, there was just like one, one track missing from it to make it bloom and come alive. But I have nothing but praise for, you know, the objective talent and skill and care on display. It's tough. I remember, by the way, I finished, I finally caught up on better call Saul. So I'm going to like hang with you guys next season. Cause I think it's coming out next, yeah. next year. Um, I still stand. I, I think I basically feel the way about Barakal Saul with what you just said about Master of None. The, the craftsmanship off the charts. The world, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm getting that engaged. This, I think, just that you, you, world. You to never me wanted to so, hang in Albuquerque that much. I think we, I think we, can, <laughs> all, no, we can all agree. Fire patch ruined that for me. No, no, no. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but anyway, I think it's great. I, I and I. By the way, I don't know how many people have seen it. Again, this is another show where I think most of my f- friends have not seen the new show. Which, by the way, can I? Can we talk about that? I, I don't know. We're probably we're way over. But I do want to ask this question though: When a show is so hot, like Master of None was, and then it just, I feel like the conversation just gets sapped, and not really because of the drop no. of quality or anything like that. What do you think that is? Because that happens from time to time. I mean, and what are the big casualties of the last few? I mean, obviously, Master of None is different because this was sort of a a discreet, like separate show. I think even they said it was Masters of None colon Moments in Love or Moments in Love. It was Master of None Presents or something. Yeah, Yeah. it's supposed to be viewed differently. But Sam, there's not a lot of second or third seasons on our list. And if and I think even my ranking succession may have suffered for just the simple fact of its existence for a couple of years. Part of a consequence of like the just sheer amount of stuff is that you tend to overweight new stuff, I think. Or I do. 
Well, t- TV is in in that sense. It is it has become movies, and that it is event. You know, it is what's new, what's next, and and a lot of the shows. And we're starting to see maybe a slight return. Uh, you know, re well, re, I would say a return basically. But um, there was an overweighting of limited and event series. I mean, that's just kind of where TV was for a minute until some things started to break through and remind people that oh no, there's still a huge swath of the country that wants their stories to go on week to week, you know, or year to year. Um, I, I think it's also we we'd have to mention also without getting into any details, but Aziz's own personal journey over the last few years in the tabloids and also just in terms of how all of that played into the reception of the show without question in terms of whether people were willing to meet it on its own terms or talk about it or consider it at all separate and apart from his own life off of the screen. So fairly or unfairly. Andy, what do you have next here? So we're we're getting into the the top two or three for our, uh, this group. We're in we're into my top four. We've already talked about it to sin. So my number four, and again, it's pick them. These could have gone in any slot. It's time for it's time for Chris and I to go back to Delco and talk about Mayor of Easttown. Uh, we certainly covered this show robustly at the top of the year. Not much more to say about it, um, unless we want to break out our Delco accents. This but, is my number um, two. Yeah, we. I, I I loved everything about this show and I we were already in the tank for it because of the Philly location and because it's a murder mystery with a phenomenal Kate Winslet performance. But I think the thing that really sold it for us, as we said back at the top of the year, was kind of what you were saying, Sam, about Reservation Dogs is that this show ultimately had a very kind heart and I think a, a very almost sweet optimism about humanity underneath the layers of uh literally the layers because it's fucking cold in Philly, <laughs> but also of tater tots and all the other affectations. And I found that really moving, especially in the finale. Again, no spoilers, but um, there's a, a scene of emotional catharsis with Kate Winslet and Julian Nicholson that I'll be thinking about for a long time. Let me ask you guys this question. Cause you know, I, I grew up in South Jersey, been to Philly a handful of times. I've also <laughs> been out, out in the PA. Yeah. Woods of PA. I have never heard that fucking accent that strong. What? Never in my fucking life. Are you telling me that that's You got to get real? off the blue route, pal. Oh, yeah. I have never, <laughs> oh, never. Yeah. No. There's oh, no way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not saying it's not there, but as thick as they made it out to be it in is, that show, I, it's I, never, I, never heard, I never heard that. Maybe I haven't gone... As far as, far, uh, <laughs> like the bar, like big Nazos in Ridley, Ridley Township. We'll go, we'll walk in there. We'll be warmly received. No doubt. As long as we're dressed in full Eagles regalia, or maybe we're just dressed as gritty. Like you'll, it, it is, it is the music of our youth, Sam. I know what you're saying question. though, Sam, because sometimes you, you watch the departed and you're just like, wait a second. Did I <laughs> like in my whole time in Boston, did anybody ever actually talk like this? And, but, but I, I think that it, that the, the, yeah, the accents are, are pretty accurate. I agree with Andy. Um, I also thought that Mary Vistown was really fascinating to watch. Like the show kind of satisfied the two camps of, of, of TV, which is uh, the sort of stable recurring character study. I want to be with these people part. And mm-hmm. also the, the mystery at the, the heart. And we're all going to be citizens, citizen detectives trying to figure out who solves, yeah. who, who committed this crime before the end of the series. Sam, did you get a chance to watch Mayor? Or, or? I, I did. I did watch it. It did not make my list. You know, I think uh, I, I agree. Kate Winslet performance is 
I mean, there's a moment, I think in like the second or third episode, when I th- uh, one of the people she's interrogating just dresses her down. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lesser actor was just broken down and cried, but she just holds it all in and you can see it, even though she, a tear is not, uh, there's not one tear shed. She, you could, you could just see it in her eyes that she is just heartbroken. I mean, you're, to me, that show is her, is Kate Winslet. It's, and, and, um, uh, Evan Peters. I mean, those oh, two so are, great. Yeah. oh my God. And, are and wait, can, yes. I, can I just jump in and say maybe the best performer of the year was Gene Smart? between Hacks and Mayor of Easttown. And sure. I'm just also saying it because the longer this podcast goes on, the more I want to go back to 10 and change it to Hacks. I feel <laughs> foolish, but she is just a national treasure. By the way, Hacks is not on anyone's list because it w- almost was on mine. It's it's on Emmys at number five, but it's not an, on Hacks was on my list. Kaya! Thank you, Kaya. Kaya's comedy corner! She has saved... Resurrected. Saved Kaya just loves it for list. its depiction of comedy. <laughs> I really love that show. Um, yeah. It was that my Hacks is amazing. And, Can we and talk about it a little bit? There's going to be more. So That's good. also what's exciting about it. You know, it's it's know. not one and done. It's just getting going. It's great. It's a great so show. Great. Uh, okay, we're up in the rarefied air now, guys. I think there. I, I think that. Do you? Do, should we just get Succession off the board? We've been talking about it nonstop. We we just Sam. We're recording this on a Monday. We just talked to Jesse Armstrong about it. You know. People don't need it's to hear your more about two, why we right, love Andy? it, but it's it's my number two, and you know I just think in terms of yeah, I, I love shows that a lot of people love because it's fun to be a part of the conversation, but I just think it's the most exquisitely insightful, emotional storytelling on TV, and the best writing consistently, and probably pound for pound the best cast and performances. But it's off the board, Sam. We know you didn't watch the season, which is absolutely your prerogative and choice. What else you got up top? What else is up floating at the top for you? Well, maybe we, it's, we maybe it's time to, to do the big one for you. Well, yeah, it is because we've done Yellow Jackets, which was number my, my number three. Underground Railroad is my number two. So number one, which is is that your is this your number one too, Chris? No, Why? this is it's, oh, not, it's not it's not on my list. What? Yeah. Oh, the shit! It's, it's not your on your list. Well, we're, we're getting wow. to it. But White, White Lotus, Lotus? Wait, wait, I thought wait, wait. it was on all of our lists. Wait, Kaya, would it be wait, on your wait. list? Did you watch White Lotus, Kaya? Of course it's on Kaya's list. It's probably yeah, White number Lotus, one. It was my number one show of the year. There we go. Kaya, okay, Sam, Kaya talk about it. what she's doing. I mean, for uh, a show to actually send up white privilege without indulging it, that's just, I mean, what Mike White does with that. First of all, okay, let me back up. Here's a show that's like, you know, got the mystery box, right? You get the little, the the murder mystery teased in the first episode. It's set uh, in a resort and it's kind of all played for laughs. You start introducing and meeting these characters and in this Mike White kind of way, you get this sort of offbeat, quirky tone to everything. And then it does this sly thing as you start going through the season where it's actually interrogating what white privilege really looks like, but not in this like didactic way and not in this condescending way in this really kind of, uh, I don't want to say the word sincere, but this honest sort of, um, cause I don't think Mike White hates any of his characters, but he hates what they do. And the way he balances that, the way he sort of includes their pathology while also showing them do these horrific things. I mean, uh, I don't want to spoil the ending, but what he does with Jennifer Coolidge, who you do love, 
for the most part of the season and then sort of rips the rug uh, right uh, fr- from underneath you. Yeah. And, I, I think what you said is really. It's, 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 it's just. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I think what you said is really important, especially for people who may have been on the fence about Mike White in the past, which is that it's a crucial distinction. He does not have hatred in his heart for these characters. He actually has an incredibly open and enlightened, to reference a past Mike White show, view of the essential humanity in all of them. What he hates, and we all, I think, hate, is the structures of the world that we all bend ourselves into and that results in you know, behavior. He does not ever absolve them of their responsibility for their complicity into the larger picture of the world, but he also looks at them and gives them enough runway and space to be more than that, or at least have the potential of being more than that, which makes the end of the series even more heartbreaking. And I think it's also worth saying, there's a reason in addition to the high quality of performances and everything that, and and production that White Lotus really resonates for a lot of creative people, I think, in the town, which is that it's the dream that not everyone can pull off. You mentioned at the beginning, Sam, that like this show only exists because Casey Bloys, the head of HBO, was like, Mike, you write fast. Is there something you could get up on its feet under COVID restrictions? And he was like, yes, I could. And he wrote this entire thing himself, and he wrote it to be set in the hotel that was shut down for most of the shoot and got the actors and got it going and had it in the can, I think, within, I mean, definitely less than six months of the first email. And it was a sensation later. And that kind of immediacy, that kind of uh, clarity from like pure idea into finished product, that never happens. I mean, it certainly never happens in movies. And it almost never happens in TV and never at this speed. And the fact that it was done and it connected is must be, it's, it's really thrilling, I think, for people who love the show. But it must be especially thrilling for people who work in the show or dream of working on shows like that. Yeah, this isn't on my list, but it should be. Uh, and... I actually had to rewatch some of it recently because I hosted a SAG panel with the cast uh, and it really, really holds up, which is, you, you know, a lot of TV doesn't. When you go back and rewatch it and you're like, now that I know what happens, mm-hmm. it just kind of like a lot of the, a lot of the sort of uh, entertainment value has sort of been sucked out of it. You can rewatch White Lotus and realize that the, the genius of the setting is that you have these people in this um, pressure cooker where each interaction that they have has a cause and effect relationship with everything that happens with them after. I mean, you can watch how the Sydney Sweeney and Brittany O'Grady characters judgment of Alexander Daddario's character makes it so that she goes spinning out on this questioning of her career and her life, like life choices because she views herself through their eyes. And the same thing goes for the Armand character, and the backpack full of drugs and them them sort of pressuring him or the Jake Lacey character pressuring the Murray Bartlett character spins him out. And just the way in which those characters just collide with one another and send each other's lives on these different courses. It's just brilliant writing. It's just, it's, it's, did you guys watch the Beatles doc series? Yet? Yeah. Get back? Yeah. Much, much. Of I it. mean, so watching, obviously those guys are, are masters watching them just riff and create fucking amazing songs that you know that um we all listen to nowadays that 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 was the feeling i i felt watching the the show is you know i didn't know about the covid rest- i didn't know about all that you know he, he he just got called up and said hey do you have anything and then but it felt like he was improvising all of this but at the same time you know he couldn't because of everything chris just said things were too 
complex and interlocking for him not to have thought all of this through. It wasn't just like he was fucking around and experimenting. He really had like a a strong mapping of how this show is going to be constructed, yet it felt so spontaneous. I, I don't... It's just it's, a magic trick. I think there's more than we were saying before, Sam, about the things that you like seeing. And I think we all like seeing is when artists select the right vessel for the work that they want to that, that, that they want to make, and it fits. What's also worth saying is that sometimes certain artists themselves succeed best in certain vessels, or with restrictions, or with a lack of restrictions. And sometimes there, you know, there are writers and directors and performers that I'm sure we all love who maybe have never had it all come together exactly in a thing that people celebrate the way that White Lotus was celebrated. And I think that's been true for Mike White, who has, you know, diehard fans and adherents who follow him no matter what he does and for his particular view of the world. But this landed like on a large cultural level, and part of that might be because his particular genius or his particular work ethic or his particular style really thrived in specifically this moment. I'm going to give you this box and this box is going to be a hotel and you're going to fill it with your characters and you're going to have a limited amount of time and you got to get it done and we're not going to fuck with you. That worked. You know, like all of a sudden you walk away and the recipe, you didn't have a recipe, but whatever you cooked made sense. And now you have something going forward that's just thrilling for him and the audiences. He's going to keep doing this. But he can do it in different places with different characters or partially different characters and who knows where it'll end up. And that's that's pretty exciting. So, Sam, that was your number one, White Lotus, right? Yes. So Andy and I are going to do something that you're going to get mad about here, but we're going to do it anyway because we can't help it. Um, Andy and I share a number one show. You have not seen it yet, I I imagine, because it doesn't air until Thursday next Thursday. I can't believe it either. If you had asked me 11 days ago. I wouldn't really have a take on this show at all because I, I hadn't read the book and I, I was going into it excited but didn't know what, to, what I was going to be getting. For me, the number one show of the year is Station Eleven. Yeah. Um, I, and it's... We, uh, I don't know how often we are always on... We're on this, I don't so, know how often we so, pick so, the same number one, but we're united in this. Let me just say this. Like, my assistant, Katie French, I'm going to shout her out because she was on that show and I think she got promoted to staff writer. Um... Will, a writer that is doing a podcast for us, is on that show. I've been dying. Uh, 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 our director on Angeline worked on the show. I've been dying ever since I've heard about it. I've been dying to fucking see this show. So, yes, I am fucking pissed. <laughs> you guys got to see it before me. And that it could easily have been my number one. But please talk about it. I'd love to hear it because I'm very excited to check it out. Andy and I have spent a lot of this year talking about um, what our relationship is to let me rephrase that. We have spent a lot of this year talking about whether or not we want to see the real world on TV anymore or to what extent we do or how we want the real world sort of rendered on TV. And I think some of it has been, you know, like as simple as saying, I just don't want, I don't want to watch shows with face masks or I don't want to watch shows that are about COVID. And, you know, it's funny if you watch like Sex in the City, like the first, and, and just like that, like the first scene is like, COVID's over, you know, and like they address it, but they're like, we don't want to have to deal with it. So it's Mr. Just, Mayor did that too in a very, yeah. Um, and I, I go back and forth. I think it's, it always has to do with, with how well it's told or how well it's talked about. But the show really kind of got at me in that regard because I think it tapped into not only some of the fears uh, that went along with the last couple of years unintentionally because it was made before the, the pandemic uh, happened. I think they at least stopped shooting before the pandemic uh, be- began. But also because it made me think about 
the state the world is in regardless, you know, and that feeling that there's, you know, that we're at the end of something, but perhaps we're at the beginning of something that uh, we're all we have, you know, that we like really like people are the only thing that is like going to be the salvation of the world. And it's hard to talk about, you know, it's hard to talk about without sounding like almost like a religious convert, you know, because I do think that there's a deep spirituality to the show and there's a really deep humanity to the show that I almost feel weird because I, I often don't like sounding corny or, or sentimental, but Andy, like fish me out of the water here. Like, I feel like this show has kind of rocked me in a way that it hasn't happened in a really long time with TV. This show really fucked me up. I think there's no question that the two, even if they're not, and I'm glad that there are collective number ones, even if they fell at different places on our list or, you know, Sam, you haven't seen this one yet, but the most 2021 shows, I think the, like the most shows that the shows that most feel associated with what this year was, what it felt like are white Lotus and, and station 11 for a little more context. This, this podcast with you, Sam, will probably come up after Chris and I rave about the show on a regular episode of the watch, but uh, Patrick Somerville, a uh, friend of the pod, Worked on The Leftovers, um, worked on Maniac. Maniac, which was great. With with Kerry Fukunaga, um, is adapting the Emily St. John Mandel novel that a lot of people, again, totally bizarrely to me, reached for when the pandemic happened in our world. And this is a novel from, I think, 2014 that's about a pandemic that is much more virulent and wipes out much of the world's population. Um, I, I think the thing to say, just to start with, is it's not just that I don't want to see face masks on TV shows. It's that I generally have a massive case of dystopia fatigue. And, and it, it came up most recently on our podcast when I was talking, when we were talking about the Why the Last Man season premiere, which was the almost by the numbers depiction of a mass casualty event that wrecks the world. It felt like something they had to get through to tell the story they wanted to tell. And I, I hate that feeling. I, it's the same reason why, you know, the Zack Snyder movies always bothered me because just cities get wiped out, but it's about, you know, Cal L's quest to become Superman. So forget about that. Maybe I'm in a tender place. Maybe we are all in a tender place. So I was very hesitant, even though my friend made it to get into this show for those reasons. And the first episode fucks me up. I think it'll really upset a lot of people because we are all blindly tramping forward in our existences, not really making space for how traumatic in, you know, for some people in major ways and for other people in, you know, maybe more subtle and persistent ways the last two years have been. And the analogy I've been using is I, I don't remember the last time I took a drive through a dystopia with a kind hearted person at the wheel, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I know Patrick and I think he's a great guy, but there is a tenderness baked into the show. There is a love of people and of humanity and of focusing on small stories, but not at the expense of the cost of the larger story. And then the first episode is the first episode. From that on, you go on just the most thrilling context jumping, time jumping, almost show jumping journey through 20 years of this fictional American or global history. That How many episodes boiling. have you seen? Ten. There's 10. You've yeah. seen all of them. Yeah, but, there, but there's but there's this there's a character you meet at the beginning who ends up part of a traveling Shakespeare company. And uh, to Chris's point, it's hard not to sound a little corny to be like, this is a show that will convince you that performing Shakespeare after an apocalypse will heal our hearts. But the show does that in a way that is not mawkish and not heavy handed. And the performances are are beautiful and inspiring and it feels fully alive. And it came down to the wire for me because as everyone who knows, like we love succession. I love it. I, it is operates on a higher level than just about any show on TV, but the heart piece of it, the sort of magical 
this is this is lifting me up. This is putting wind in my sails. Uh, shout out to the North Water. Um, this show transported, you know, and also the fact that it just feels so relevant to watching it right now. Like maybe it, this is this is this is heavy words to hang on any TV show. No, I know, and it, it feels know, like it can help a little bit. It, it helps. We talked a couple of times about various shows that feel like they arrive fully formed, and I think that you could say that about uh, Station Eleven. I also think that it's. A very 2021 show because it really understands what TV viewers can handle in terms of mm. what they need plotting to be, what they need motivation to be, how they can follow multiple timelines at once. I mean, Sam, obviously, if we're watching Yellow Jackets, we're like, we're juggling a lot of, of chronology anyway. And what the characters have to do in terms of like on screen action that is, uh, that feels worth our time. Like, I think that when you watch enough action movies, when you watch enough blockbusters, when you watch enough blockbuster television, it can feel like everything is this uh, side quests. It's always just like, well, we have to go over here to get this thing to be able to come back over here to do this thing to eventually be able to do this thing. And all of that stuff, that kind of video game logic seems to be removed from Station Eleven. Like, it actually doesn't feel... I, I just don't feel like I've ever seen these people on television before, even though there are some archetypes. You know what I mean? Even though there are some some hero myths and stuff like that being played out, I don't feel like this is this is at once incredibly familiar, but it's completely foreign. Also, hero myths. There's also Hero Mirai. Yeah, one of, that's right. One of our great directors <laughs> setting a tone wow. that is beautiful oh, and evocative and humanist. Andy. Yeah. So Sam, I'm sorry to leave you out of this because I would I would love to hear your thoughts on it, but we Andy and I couldn't think of a, another show to put here. I mean, it's just, maybe it's recency bias, but it's just blown us away. All good. I'm excited to check it out. Especially so we, after that. We end, we end the show in the spirit of the holidays with extreme jealousy because Sam hasn't seen, <laughs> gotten to see it. Um, Sam, did you want to run through any more of Emmy's choices? I think we did all of Emmy's, right? Okay. Number one was Master of None. Day. Oh, she did throw in scenes from a marriage, which I, I did really like, but she has that at number three. Did you guys watch that? I couldn't hang. <laughs> I can't hang with that. Should we, Sam, this is an open invitation. Is, are we going to expand by a square next year? Is Emmy going to come in and crash the boards and F us all up? You know what? Let's see. Let's see what happens. I think, I think, I think she's pretty good. I mean, here's the thing. Emmy does actually does not love to watch a lot of TV. She doesn't love to watch a lot of anything. She loves to, you know, go out. Live, live yeah. life. Live, <laughs> live life <laughs> to the fullest. But, but, I, um, I, but, I, but I'll say this, Sam. I think that longtime listeners know that you're generous devotion to appearing on our podcast not to get two scenes from a marriage really stems from the fact that it's always going to be a thorn in your side that emmy was on the watch before you were um back before it was the watch and so i feel like but that bill has now been paid you've made numerous Wait, appearances is that true over the years. i don't remember that you guys yes. interviewed emmy before emmy for, came for, on for, for shameless? I, with me for shameless yeah years and years and years ago Oh, motherfucker, I didn't I know. know. So I but I uh, she, he says he doesn't know, but I feel like it's always been blurry. But now now that you've you've made your point and yeah. now she can come back. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see. Wait, I do want to do some shout-outs. Is that let's okay? Let's do shout-outs. Shout. You guys like only murders in the building? Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So charming. Steve Martin, Martin Short. I mean, excellent. And, and Selena Gomez. She's great. Um I loved it. Um this is a, a little more controversial because I have like one criticism of it, but it got a lot. Did you guys watch them? I mean, Andy, you didn't watch them. But Chris them. Ryan. I didn't see it. You didn't? No, I missed it. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great piece of horror filmmaking. 
I don't want to get into the criticism because I don't want to spoil anything since you guys haven't seen it. But just just watch. It's on Amazon. Um, I think you guys did not like this show. And it's I don't shrink next door. Did you guys you guys watch it? Oh, I liked it. I liked it. Oh, you did. I haven't I finished really it. Yet. Like it. Well, you, I you did like it, Andy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I did like it, but that was one of the ones where that I was sort of like confused about, or maybe it was the weird context yeah. because everyone else feels cringed, and I am the king of cringing on stuff, and it didn't bother me at all. I found no, it kind of really it interesting, and that, uh, I I really liked, especially Paul Rudd and Catherine Hahn's performances. Like I was. I'm going to finish it. I re- I was really enjoying that show. I keep being taken by it. Surprising. Like, I keep like, okay, I'll, uh, I don't know what's going on. Like, it does confuse me a little bit, the tone. But I'm like, okay, let me just keep And I just keep getting drawn in more and more. And I I, I love what Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell are doing. Anyway, Sex Lies of College Girls. Have you guys checked yeah, that out? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really funny. Really fun. Yeah. Really funny. Just, just another great light comedy where I just... I just really laugh a lot. And speaking of laughing a lot, I got to shout out this season, Curb. I think, oh I, my have God. you guys been yeah. watching it? Yes. It's, it's amazing. So, so fucking I, funny. Well, you know what's crazy? Maybe this speaks to, Chris, your point about recency bias or also just what TV means now in terms of how we cover and talk about it and all the new things on it. Like, I almost don't consider Curb Your Enthusiasm to be a show that aired <laughs> right. in fiscal 21. It's just like a pillar of my life and existence. Yeah. And I'm so happy it's there. And- this is insane. Sam, until you said, I never once considered it for this list, even though it's giving me more pleasure than most things out there. It's on, it was on, that was the Emmys 11. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. And I, so that's when I had to throw that least on my honorable mention, but you're right. It's this weird show where I'm like, Larry, da- he, I don't th- see the thing about him. This is, and this, this is something that like ties to our conversation about Squid Game. He doesn't give a fuck. No, He's just going to do the show that he wants to do, that he finds funny. Like, I know that there's, like, that storyline in this season where he's, like, selling a show to Hulu or whatever. And he's like, I'm not taking notes. And then they laugh. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I'm not taking notes. And I guarantee you that's his deal with HBO, right? That's his he's meeting, like, yeah. I, I'm just doing this. And you guys put it on. You Or if you don't want to put it on, that's fine, too. Right. I won't do it. Like, I think he really has that attitude. But He has that. He has that money, too. He can do that. And he has that money. Like the fact that th- this is not like a passion project necessarily, but just more of like a, a, a hobby or a side it's, thing. It's how him. he wants to spend his time. It's fucking, it's just, it's, it's impressive. It's, Chris, did you like it or you don't? Oh, uh, I love Curb. It? Yeah. I mean, the same thing where it's like, it's now just part of it's my like Sunday SNL. night ritual. So it's yeah, exactly, that's, ex- it's a it's really like good SNL. way of putting it's it. Like a, and, yeah. and speaking of things that are passion projects that you don't need to do, but we're so grateful that you do. Sam, thanks for coming on the watch again this year. <laughs> By the way, this is our this is number five, right? That's right. This is our fifth anniversary. Wow. Pretty this. soon we could do a top ten of your appearances on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be let's block out six hours for it. Um, Kaya, order lunch in. It's gonna be Can we include epic. big picture putt, or is that still a sensitive topic? <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you about it's, that after on, offline. Yeah, it's not sensitive. It's just that when Sam we, when we were messaging the other day and you're like as a long time as as a as a regular listener of the watch, and I was like, I think you misspelled the big pick. <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for doing this, man. Thank you guys. Happy holidays to you and your family, Sam. Thank we you to Kaya it. for producing. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 